Hey, what's the story? You're listening to Origin Stories, a podcast where entrepreneurs, founders, and business leaders reflect on their past and identify the key turning points that helped them go from zero to hero. My name is Robert Tai, and I'm a journalist and the founder of StoryBud, a company that helps businesses tell better stories. I've been lucky enough to work with some high achievers over the last 18 years, and in Origin Stories, I chat with them about how they make big decisions and what you can learn from their mistakes. Welcome to uh, Origin Stories. My guest this week is Jonathan Sweeney. Jonathan, how are you doing? Hey Robert, good to see you. Happy New Year! Yeah, same to you. It's uh, it's nice to chat to a, a fellow Celt. You're from, uh, from 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 Wales originally, right? Yeah, if I even put my uh, the Welsh in New Zealand, I love it. Sure, on specially. <laughs> look at look at that. You, you you born in Wales, but lived in different parts of the UK. I understand growing up before immigrating to New Zealand, and you're what your your mid thirties, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So I only lived in Wales for a couple of years after I was born. Mm. And my parents moved to various places in England. In fact, I lived all over England and then finally emigrated in 2003. So, yeah, I, I've been fortunate to sort of live in, in lots of, or visited lots of parts of the UK. But I still have a very sort of soulful, spiritual connection with being Welsh. It's very difficult to understand where that comes from because it's tough growing up in England and, and yet wanting to, to proclaim to people that you're from the, uh, the you know, the enemy. Yes. But um, but yeah, I, I still still feel very connected to there, and I think there's something uh, I say very soulful, like going to our national stadium, maybe not unlike you in, in Dublin for, for a game, is like a spiritual experience. You know, mm. it's, uh, it's it's amazing. Um, yeah, a real real sense of connection. Yeah, very good. Um, travel and change seems to have been a, a constant in your life, both I suppose personally and and professionally. <sighs> This might be a big question to start off with, but do you think that's been driven by a search for what's new and exciting or as a means of, of escape or running away from something? Um, oh, that's a big question. It is um, a big question, I, yeah. I, I think it's a combination of all of those. And kind of somebody was asking me some of these things the other day. I, th- I think if I'm honest, there's a, a search that's going on. I, I don't even think that's a conscious thing. Uh, I think that the... The older we get, you sort of be become mindful that you can go and do lots of the, you know lots of other things. You don't have to be set in a, a defined path in terms of what other people have, have maybe defined for you. I think, if I'm honest, there's an element of I don't know whether running away is the right word. I I never felt completely at peace in the UK. It's, it's interesting when I look at it now, and I look at people like um, sort of Boris Johnson running the country, and there's a real sense of frustration, maybe. To some extent, because you know my mum is still there, and you look at the what people are having to deal with through a lack of, of good leadership. Um, and don't get me wrong, you know there, there were good experiences there, but I think when I started travelling when I was in my late teens, I just got a sense there was other things available. People lived different lives, there were different cultures, and I think certainly when I've been in Australasia, and I started there, I think '94 was the first time I went to Australia. Mm. I just felt more connected. I felt people were more into kind of how you appeared as a person as opposed to where you're from and where you'd been educated or where did you go to university or who Mm. did you know and 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 that seemed more accessible if that's the right word yeah Um, and i and i think that was some of the drive to to look to emigrate and i don't know whether in hindsight i know my dad in the early 70s he'd 
been interested to move to Canada. And I remember as a kid sort of reading literature from the Canadian government, um, literally like five years of age. And, I, and, and now I say you sort of try to piece things together and maybe it's those pieces that led to doing what you're doing. And um, I've, I've still got a, a magnet on the fridge that talks about, you know, 20 years from now, you'd be more disappointed with the things that you, you didn't do rather than the ones that you did. And uh, it's, a, it's a quote, you know, that says, you know, once it cast off the, the rope, set sail and, and, and see where you end up. Yeah. Absolutely. You talked about one of your first informative experiences at a summer camp in the US. Was that when you were a teenager or in your 20s? Or when, when was that, Jonathan? Yeah, so I first went there in 86. So it was mm. my, my first year in, uh, in higher education. I'd grown up with all those kind of classic 70s TV shows. Um, probably Starsky and Hutch would be one that sticks <laughs> out. And uh, yeah, I always had this fascination with the, with the US. And I'd, I'd met a guy when I was first at, 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 at college, and he'd literally just come back from doing a summer camp experience. And I, I never really thought of it as being possible. And, and maybe when I go back to childhood, I used to watch this thing, we talked about it before, the holiday program. And it just seemed like travel was for rich people. You know, it wasn't for the, the, the average person in the street. So the essence of being able to go and, and work in the US was just like, I don't know, like another level. I applied, I was young to go and um, to be a counsellor. Um, I wanted to teach volleyball that I'd been quite into at the time. And long story short, I ended up working in what they call kitchen and maintenance program. And like hard work, I mean, you were feeding, you know, 300 people three times a day. But but great experience and sort of, yeah, I, I'll forever grateful for things that I'd learned in that time because I, I think as a late teen, I would have been, I think, 19 when I first went you know, you thought of the king of the world mm. and going to another country where nobody knows you, you realize that, you know, I suppose to be fair, nobody gives a shit, mm. you know, that they, they you, you will get in some ways a byproduct of how you behave as to what you say and how you act. And, and I think that was a great sort of leveling experience and, and where I start to learn that whole thing of, you know, you, you will give many times and maybe never receive. But I, but I think it's what you feel comfortable with in terms of how you behave. And I remember at the end of the first season, they said to me, um, would I like to come back as a counsellor? Because I would have been old enough. And I'm like, no way. I'm thinking, I don't want uh, to uh, be stuck with a group of kids who could completely screw your summer. And uh, that there, was some, there was some great flexibility in working in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, and I remember that I remember the, the second year I went back, I think the first four weeks I went out every night, blew all the money that I had and, and just lived that absolute blast. It was, it was great. And from there, obviously, you went on and, and continued your education and then started down the corporate road from, you know, yeah. you, you, tell me a little bit about that, because you, you've worked for a lot of big corporates over the years, a, a lot in the retail side of things, from, from what I understand. And now your focus is more on working with SMEs and small and yep. medium sized enterprises. How, how and why did, the, did that shift occur, I suppose, away from corporates and, and, and towards SMEs, um, Jonathan? I... I had some great experiences working in larger environments. And I think, you know, when I go back to my early 20s, maybe even into my late 20s, early 30s, I never probably completely got how a whole environment was working um, in, in terms of working in this big machine. And first company I worked for was a, a large brewer uh, that's now called, um, it's part of Anheuser-Busch. Mm. Um, but at the time, it was like a, an old family business called Whitbread in the UK. Uh, it first started in like 1742 and such a great environment for training, 
and learning the basics about how to both be a, in a commercial role in sales and, and in marketing. Uh, I think you sort of, maybe inadvertently in, in hindsight, you sort of get on this treadmill um, and you sort of go from one thing to another. Mm. And it's about responsibility. I guess it's about money. I guess it's about your span of control. And, you know, I say it's only now in hindsight that I sort of, you know, maybe have a more skeptical view in terms of how it occurs. And I'm not anti those organizations. I think I just got to a point where um, I, I didn't feel like I was getting anything personally outside of being there, you know, mm. and it was an amount of money that you were getting paid. Um, and, and I find, it sounds kind of maybe a bit self-righteous, the opportunities that I get now working with people in smaller environments are far more enriching. Um, there's far more opportunity to have impact uh, in terms of what you can do with people. And you're not lost in this politics, I suppose, mm. for want of a better phrase. Because mm. that's, that's what I hear a lot of, you know? I, I was kind of like, it's just amazing. I don't know if you're watching this morning that, that, you know, what's going on in the US. Mm. And it, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's, I suppose, partly in a, an emotional context, I think back to the, the times that I've been there. Um, but, but, but Trump uh, reminds me in terms of style of people that I've worked for. Um, and, and that sense of ego, uh, I think, is a very, very dangerous thing. Um, and, and I think when we talked before, I, I told you I'd, I'd read a book born out of somebody I'd worked for, uh, and this was in 2007, called Snakes in Suits. And it was written by two doctors in the US. And it was a, a, almost like a clinical study of how, you know, don't, don't assume that all sociopaths and psychopaths are locked up, you know, that they're very much alive and well. And, and I think for all of us, you know, we, we see that now, like today, you know, in, in terms of people storming the Capitol building in the US and the, 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 the leader in chief or the disruptor in chief, or, you know, he, he's, he's got a position there where he could put a stop to it. And yet he's, you know, as somebody says, it's like he wants to burn the place to the ground before he leaves. Yeah. And, and, as, and as dramatic a comparison as that appears, I know that I've, I've, I've been in spaces where people, uh, I, I would say intellectually and from a, a skill and capability viewpoint, weren't necessarily up to it, but their ego was, was talking to them so much in terms of what they thought they could do. And that was, that was keeping them going. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I mean, I, in my 20s, I went through a phase where, where I, I jumped from job to job and I suppose searching for the for the thing that kind of fired me up that I could get passionate about. And so I had, I had a little glimpse of kind of the corporate corporate world, not to the same extent that you did. And and it can be kind of really intimidating. And I think especially if you're in your 20s and you're not sure of yourself and, and you maybe you, you can easily kind of get beaten down by that. Right. I mean, I, I, was bullying a part of your um, your experience at all, Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had that experience. I think I'm mindful that when I talk about it, I, th I think one of the things that I reflect on now is that we get angry. The phrase I learned, you know, we get angry not with what happens, but that which we allow to happen, right? Mm. And and so I'm not here as a oh I'm a victim and I've been bullied. I just sure. I don't think I, I don't think I had the uh, what's the word the strength or understanding mm. about how to relate to the situation different. Mm. Um, because you you know you end up in these environments. You know, obviously, like salary at, at some point becomes a factor. You're a provider for your family. Mm. And it's, it's almost like, a, I suppose, a degree of rabbit in the headlights. 
that, that things will happen. You go, well, how am I supposed to deal with that? And I, I now, when, when I uh, when I talk to other people, and it, it sounds quite quite combative, I say to my daughter, I said, I would never allow, I would encourage you not to allow for any of these things to happen. And therefore, there is a framework that exists, even in the corporation, that allows you to, let's call it contest or stand up for, for what's happening. It's just that you know that by doing that, that creates a fundamental challenge to the future in that environment. And that's the thing that people are are kind of having to stare into. I, I've worked in places where, you know, senior people in the company are, are earning their salary as a bonus, you know? Now, when you're working for people in that space whose kids are being privately educated, that the company's funding, you know, that, that they've created this lifestyle, that's something they don't want to give up very easily. Um, so, so the desire to achieve result, and nothing wrong with that, um, becomes paramount. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that's still, I think that's one of the things that, when I say, frustrates me, not saddens me, in terms of what's going on in, in companies now. And it happens in companies large and small. It's not just the corporation thing. I, um, you know, I did a, an event uh, towards the end of November, at the end of Movember, called Rovember, and it was for I Am Hope, uh, the, the, the Mike King charity. And it was um, uh, an indoor marathon, sorry, a, a, a marathon on an indoor rower. And it was done because of staring into that mental challenge that people face. Mm. For all the stuff that exists these days, fundamentally, I think people just lack that, I don't know, that, that sense of karma of, I yeah. can take a stand. Yeah, it's a, a self-confidence thing as well, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, especially if you're working in a corporate environment where you feel beaten down, where you feel bullied, it, it, it comes, becomes, I suppose, a vicious a vicious circle and, and hard to get out of it. You um, you sent me an email about a letter you sent you, your daughter recently with some life lessons for us, was one of a better word, and I, I love that mm. idea. You advised her to be willing to take a punt on yourself. And, and that yeah. sometimes means that you need to be willing not only to change course, but to jump on a different boat. And, and, and that's really, yeah. really, I think that's really, really good advice. If you had to pick, pick one, and I know this again is a tough question, what was the decision that had the most influence on what you do now and how you live your life? What, what was the boat that you jumped on that kind of has largely been responsible for where you are now? I think when I, when I, when I say I left corporate life, if I'm completely transparent, and I, I think that's important, that was not a decision that I took 100% on my own. You know, I was in an environment, in a situation where a number of things happened, some of which I can't talk about legally. You know, I, I kind of felt like I'd come to the end of, of being in that space, that for whatever reason, either it didn't work for me or I wasn't working the right way that it needed to exist. And, and so that became a right, you know, what are you going to do? And even to this day, I, you know, sometimes challenged by my wife in terms of considering employment, but, to me, I'd, I feel like I'd, I'd not just reached the end of the road. I'd probably gone to the, the gravel that was beyond the tarmac, right, in terms of what was happening. Um, and, and that was back in 2014. So I've been self-employed now for six, six and a half years. So I think, I think there was probably, I wish, I wish there was a more positive event or motivation that had occurred that prompted me to be where I am. But it, 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 what happened, happened, okay? Mm. Um, and... and you know, there was probably a couple of years there of, of not fumbling around, but just trying to find your way. I knew that there was a, don't use the word gift, there was a competence there, an experience there with me in terms of working with the development of people and organizations. And I suppose it's just kind of repackaging that 
to make it relevant to people who are not a corporation, who are not turning over hundreds of millions of dollars, where there's not, you know, hundreds of thousands of people working, you know? In fact, I was reading some stuff last night. I got a book over Christmas uh, that was about New Zealand, New Zealand business failure. It sounds quite dark, but it's actually lessons learned from business failure. Um, and then it starts to talk about, you know, the, the things going forward. And there's some stats in there, which, you know, people will probably be aware of about, you know, I think there's something like literally hundreds of thousands of businesses here. Mm. You know, New Zealand is the backbone of this country is small, medium enterprise. Yeah. Um, of environments that are predominantly less than 20 people and often less than five, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I think there's a, there, there's a, a trick. You can't just take the blueprints of working for the multinational and put it into, you know, a million dollar three people environment, right? Yeah. Um, but but there are bits of it that are relevant, and there are bits of it that people have not had the, the exposure or experience to work in. It. So that's part of what you do at the immersion group, which yeah, is yeah. Which is, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. coach. It's coaching kind of SME owners and founders about how to yeah. um, maximize their potential. Yeah, I I always kind of struggle with the. Uh, I remember years ago. Somebody bought me a, t- a T-shirt with coach on it and um, sort of something that sat in the, the drawer for ages. And I, and I, if I'm honest, I never see myself as a coach. The reason I say that, I feel that most people experientially that I've worked with in SMEs are not waiting for somebody to turn up and tell them what's wrong. You know? yeah. Now, are they interested in how they can improve? Yes. But I think at a practical level, they're looking for well, who's going to do it, right? Or where do I get the resources for it? Or you know, it's it, it's one thing to you know, I don't know if you, if you take uh, your your hobby or whatever you're passionate about outside of work, and I go, oh, Robert, if I was you, I'd do this, this, and this, and you're like, okay, but how do I do that? You know, so I, I think for somebody who's willing to let's say stand with you and have, when I say skin in the game, be accessible, available. Um, and, and practically provide things. Mm-hmm. So I've just started a piece of work uh, literally this week um, with, with a guy. He's got, I think, three businesses. They're, they're doing about seven mil altogether. But there's some challenges there. And, and it starts out with looking at an analysis of, of what the financial situation is. But, and that's partly where, the, I suppose, the, the, the multinational experience comes from is, is getting into that level of detail, you know? Um, that there's a reason why things are not working the way that he wants. Fundamentally, he wants to um, generate another $200,000 worth of income. That's one of his goals. Now, you know, it's, it's not going to happen tomorrow, right? So, but, but you know, I'm not saying to him, well, I'd look at this, I'd look at that. Mm. It's like, you know, I'm there week by week. Okay, so let's go and look at this, you know, um, in a very it, practical. Are there common challenges that you come across or what are the most common challenges facing SMEs, would you, would you say? The most common one is, uh, it's, it's a big one, I'm going to say about resource. Resource can be about money. Mm. Uh, it can be about people. I think, I think, and this is a very, I think, a real one at the moment, a common challenge is around people. Part of my conversation uh, midday today is, is around people challenges. Um, because in most situations, I'm dealing with owners who've not got experience of leading or managing people. Mm. And I think... Most of them go into a situation kind of like wanting to do the right thing. But as we know, in the litigious environment that we live in, you can get into a lot of trouble by trying to do the right thing. My, uh, what's the word, my counsel often in these situations is, I would do this, this, and this. And I I work with a really good uh, HR lady who from a, let's call it from a a legal perspective, 
guides clients of mine in terms of things to do. And I don't mean it always has to be negative, but but I think uh, going back to your question, you know, there, there's a lot of people challenges. Um, and I think with the way that the, the country is closed at the moment, it's creating some pressure in terms of skill. And whereas before clients of mine would have been able to access people from overseas, obviously that's not an option. And it's creating, I think, some real challenges on the internal market. So whilst at one level, I know that there's obviously more people out of work than would have been out of work 12 months ago, but that doesn't mean that they sit in the skill space that you're necessarily looking for. Is, is it a skill set or is it an attitude, Jonathan? I, I think in most cases, Robert, it's, it's attitude. You know, I, I um, going back to the US thing, I remember I, I bought this T-shirt because I thought it was cool at the time. This was in the probably mid-90s. And it said, attitude is everything, right? And I kind of was never really present to it then. And now I really get it. Um, because when you when we talked about bullying and all this kind of stuff, I, when I, I did some teaching on, on a contract basis, which I really enjoyed. And one of the roles that I felt that I had with students was to equip them for the workplace. And one of the biggest things we used to talk about was about attitude. I said, you know, I can... You know, I can teach you the course, right? You know, and I don't mean it in a, a clever way. You know, it's 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 kind of simple in some ways. You know, it's like go and read this book or go and look at this. But getting people to have the right behaviours is a real, real challenge. And 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 this is well documented that you can't train people in attitude. You know, either fundamentally they've got it or they haven't. And and I think the sad reality and and, and going back to teaching. Uh, when I say sad reality, because I, I had literally students from, you know, 13, 13 to 15 different countries, there are common traits that exist. So it wasn't like you'd see something that was just particular to students from New Zealand or from the UK. It was the same in students from China, from Cambodia, from Sri Lanka, you know, same kind of things. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, you know, the, the attitude thing is a big, big challenge. And I, and I, I get, you know, maybe... My, my daughter has an unfair experience because she's a sort of only child. And but but I keep saying to her, I said, look, there's so many basic things where you can win that I just don't see in your in your friends as, as a general comment. And things like being present, you know. Um, I, I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and he says, oh, I've put a rule in place that my son, and I think his son was 18, he can't put his noise cancelling headphones on for the first hour of the day, you know, because that that's that's a real worry that. You know, I'm sure you have instances where you'll drive past schools in the morning and kids are not even looking, you know, yeah. they're, they're just they're in this world. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't want to sound like I'm Gandalf right? in terms of that. You know, I've sort of come from another dimension, but I think there are some basics that will never change. Yeah. Um, One of the things that strikes me as well from from having these conversations with people is and I think it's probably something that a lot of younger people, people in their 20s, maybe even in their 30s don't always appreciate is that every job, every experience you do adds up to the sum of what you end up being, you know, that, that it, it all it all matters. And that even the crappy jobs, even the tough jobs that you go through, if you if you approach them in the right way, they will add up to something down the track. And I suppose it's that kind of delayed gratification thing in a sense, isn't it? Yeah. Right. That, you know, um, that, that, that everything matters. I, I when I when I was thinking about um, having this conversation with you, when I when I stared into the detail of things that had happened, and I was writing down about being present, I I, I could pinpoint probably two or three instances in my employed life where by either not being present or being present, 
had made a major, major uh, definition to what happened next. Um, so I can remember, like when I worked for PepsiCo, my boss had asked me to attend a meeting. Uh, I was lifted up in the north of England. It was down in Reading. I, I left home at like 4.30 in the morning um, and went to this all-day meeting. And I remember I got asked a question sort of, I don't know, about 2.30 in the afternoon. And I just wasn't present, you know? And and, I, and like basically all the the senior people in the company were there. And that was their, they, they'd made a, a definition at that point. Mm. Um, it didn't stop in terms of the results that were being delivered, mm. but there was a perception there that I had created that just at that one point in time, I wasn't onto it. And then conversely, I'd had another experience in Countdown where I'd presented um, to the board of the company and I was just like really onto it. And I know literally in that hour and a half presentation, I changed the opinion of what people had about. So I, I think that's the thing that, going back to what I said with my daughter, you know, that, that, that being present, being onto the fact that decisions will be made at, at tiny moments in time, you know? Mm, mm. Almost like, you know, the, you, you imagine in sport, you know, you've, you've been trailing away for like 79 minutes in a, in a rugby game and, and maybe your performance will be an average and then there's that one killer thing you do, you know? Yeah. That's what people will remember, you mm. know? Totally, and you and you don't you don't you don't always know you don't rarely know where that where when that moment's going to happen. Yeah. That, that ties back nicely, I think, to that uh, movie um, that again you talked to me about Finding Joe about Joseph oh, yeah. Campbell and the hero's journey yep. concept. Why did that movie have such an impact on you? What what was it about it that struck you? I think my my partner and our wife at the time bought it for me, and it's sort of one of those gifts that you get. And I'm like, oh, that seems interesting. And I never really kind of dialed into it and i think there's probably been a few films that i've watched that completely sort of captivated me and when i watched um when i watched it, it's only like an hour and 20 minutes i really recommend people check it out uh, it's available on youtube it just really makes you think about where you are where you've come from but critically where you're going mm. um and and uh, joseph campbell um i think it was maybe in the 40s or 50s you know he he was he, his work was basically looking at all the classic myths that exist in cultures around the world and saying, look, they all follow the same pathway. Um, and, and people can go and look at the, the hero's journey. There's lots of information in, in a public domain about it. And I guess in popular culture, uh, or fiction, sorry, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, Toy Story, The Matrix, they're all examples of the hero's journey. Mm. Um, and and I, you know, when I think about myself or I think about the people that, um, that I work with, everybody is is at a stage in that. And it doesn't mean that they're only doing it once. They might be on their third, fifth, 18th version of the hero's journey, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, now, conversely, maybe some people never do it. Mm. And I'm, I'm like, good luck to them. Maybe they've, and it's maybe a gross generalization, that they've, they've, they've grown up in an environment where things are, are just laid out and there's no real drama, okay? But yeah. I think most of us at some point experience some challenge, you know, both you and I, we've left where we're from to, to follow the hero's journey. Mm. We, we, we cross that threshold. We're then confronted with challenge. What do we do next? There's normally the impact of the, the Gandalf, the Yoda, as a mentor figure in terms of leadership. Normally there's that sort of going into darkness and, and then the, what's the, word, the strength or challenge that you get to come out the other side. Yeah. But, but that can happen in a real short period of time. So I, I think what's interesting, I, I did some work last year. Somebody asked me to do a, couple of kind of masterclass series and um i said to the groups 
I said, oh, this is what I think people want me to work with them on. So it'll be things like sales or marketing or strategy or finance or, you know, exit. And I said, in reality, they actually want to talk about self-worth, um, relationship challenges, you know. And I'm not saying that they're going to sign up for that, mm. but those are things that come out. Because yeah. going back to that, that book about failure, the business failure, it, there's, a, there's a big chapter about, you know, people. You know, the, the, the business is a manifestation of them. You know, it didn't. You know, it didn't create its own personality. It was born out of the personality that they put into it. And I, I was with, you know, somebody yesterday, lovely person. And, and I'm not going to sort of share any specific detail, but but this individual um, lost her husband at quite a young age. And um, you know, one of the big things she's dealing with is um, a, a dependent who's a drug addict. Mm. Um, and yet, six days a week, she's running a business. You know. So one of the things we, I think we've talked about before, that whole, the essence of, of walking the shoes of another, there's a danger that, and I suppose this all combines when we talk about being present, you can just skip over what's yeah. actually going on for people, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and, and I think that's what's interesting, just to sometimes stop. And you can't deal with everybody, but just to pause and think about kind of what, what's, what's going on. Yeah, and that ties back into the whole notion of beating yourself up maybe because you're not achieving at the same level as somebody else you see on LinkedIn or somebody else you see on social media or, or a business competitor. But as you say, we're all dealing with different challenges. We're all at different stages of the hero's journey and, 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 and where yeah. you're at at, at a particular time. It doesn't mean you're going to be in the same place in six weeks or six months or six years time, right? You know, that, and I suppose that is, the, that is the beauty of that whole hero's journey is, is it kind of, Maybe provide some reassurance that you can overcome challenges. You can get back on the on the yeah, on the yeah. path. I mean, I, I think it, it's interesting. Kind of here we are. It's the first sort of week of, of January, and I, I'm sure, like many people, you get skeptical about the resolutions and, and all this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, now, unfortunately, there's a lot of empirical data that says that they all fail very early on in January. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I know that with clients. The biggest challenge is always about time, you know? Oh, I'm going to do this here or, oh, let me get Christmas out of the way, right? And the reality is for anything, there's never going to be a good time, you mm. know? There's only ever going to be like now in terms of, you know, of staring into, you know, should I eat differently? Should I do more exercise? Mm. Should I, you know, should I take on another role? The the the, the sad reality, and I'm, I'm sure whether it's you or I or other people who may listen to this, when time is served on us, we get real intentional, you know? Um, and and I, I wouldn't want to wish that on anybody, but all the things that I've seen or experiences that I've had, you know, when somebody says to you, look, bad news, you know, you've got X and, you know, we give you we give you Y, you don't go, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that a bit later down the track, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that I'm always very mindful of is that, you know, if, if you, what's the word, abuse time, then the universe has an unfair way of sometimes serving you back, you know? Right, yeah. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Uh, I'm curious to know, what is maybe the one kind of trait or skill or superpower above anything else that has helped you achieve what you've achieved and get to where you are now in your life, Jonathan, would you say? I'm going to... I was going, I'm going to use the word vulnerability, right? Maybe it's about openness, and the reason I say that is that I was talking with a mate of mine in Canada yesterday and I said, you know, for how we've developed and, you know, 
when you look at one to many or social media or whatever, I said, there's still some place for me where the, the one-to-one connection is still important, right? Mm. And the reason that I say that is that at some point, you've got to be open. You've got to be, there's no point turning up like some big swinging dick, right? <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think people are looking for that. I think they want to have a relationship, a partnership, whatever you want to call it, with people that they can relate to. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sitting there going, oh, yeah, I've bloody cracked it, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. the reality is, if I had, I probably wouldn't be doing it in the first place. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it, it's, 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 I, I choose to do what I do at this point in time because I think my skill set lends itself to that. Mm. I have the same challenges about, you know, charging people money, you know, and all the things that, that everybody sort of goes through. Mm. Um, but, but I think going back to your question, to be able to sit there and have, empathy um for any number of situations and not give answers you know mm. like going back to this this person i was telling you about there are sometimes we stray into conversations about drug dependency and i know that i'm not a trained counselor you know right i know that i'm not there to say you should do this or you should do that you know but but i find and, and it's been a learning with my mum since my dad passed away and talking to my mum in the uk that I just got to be in a place to listen. You know, mm. sometimes people are just wanting an environment to be able to talk. And and as, as, as we know, especially as guys, our tendency will tend to want to give a, a solution. And, you know, I, I've sort of, I, I've just really got, you know, here I am in my early 50s and, and like with my mum, that there's more power just to go, how are you? You know? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, then just, I don't need to say anything else. You True. know, it's like, press play. And off you go. I love it. That's, uh, that's a lovely way to finish, Jonathan. It's been really, really good to chat with you. Thank you so much for your time. Buddy, have a great, uh, have a great break. And let's, let's reconnect when you come back and, and have a chat. Really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Robert. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. And if you've got time, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you use. Finally, if you want to learn more about how to tell your own origin story, visit my website, storybud.co. That's S-T-O-R-Y-B-U-D.co, storybud.co. Thanks again and see you next time.